Right, fired up. Deep breath, let's get after it. I think this is gonna give us a good buffer here. We're just gonna go like hell. And four, engage the go like hell. Bumper, 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 go that door. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good right now. Go, go, go. All you got now. Oh, he just wrecked us. Just you and him, bud. I'm all hard. Still there. Quarter. Clear. Clear all the way by half. No runs coming. Man, see better. Good morning, race fans. It is Tuesday, February 16th, 2021, and you are tuned in to Hard Charging. My name is Mike Bachman, and today is the debut episode of this NASCAR podcast. I want to welcome everyone with open arms and hope that you are ready to drop the hammer this racing season. On today's episode, I will be breaking down the Daytona 500. I will briefly recap Speed Weeks, but for the bulk of the episode, we will discuss the early big one, Michael McDowell's perfect drive to a first career win, and much more. No guests this week, but that shouldn't discourage you from listening. Come on, man, let's get fired up. It's the debut episode here. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. A couple of housekeeping notes before we get started, being that this is the first episode of the podcast. I do appreciate you all tuning in. It's the start of something beautiful. I really hope that we can build this hard charge and brand, and I truly appreciate all the support from the start. We're dropping episodes every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern throughout the NASCAR season, but I also have a YouTube channel that will be dedicated to this podcast. That YouTube channel is now launched. Its first video is up, my 2021 NASCAR Cup Series playoff predictions. So if you want to go check those out, uploaded it before the 500, don't worry. Uh, that video is up there. The channel is Mike Bachman Sports. I'd really appreciate if you subscribe to that channel. We're going to be posting segments of the podcast up there every week. Uh, that's going to be home to any breaking news. Uh, if that gets discussed, I will be talking about there and also going to upload some extra content like the playoff predictions for you guys. So please go subscribe to that YouTube channel. There's going to be extra content that you're not going to want to miss and content exclusively that you will not get on this podcast. It's to get the best of both worlds, man. Super excited. So subscribe to that channel. All the information will be in the description of this episode. Just wanted to get that out of the way before we jump into the meat of this show. And I do want to start with Speed Weeks, a week ago today was the official start of the NASCAR Cup Series season. So let's circle back to Tuesday night with the running of the Bush Clash from the Daytona Road Course. Now, the Bush Clash this year surrounding uh, the story about the Daytona Road Course, they needed a change. NASCAR felt compelled to change the running of the Clash to the Daytona Road Course. And this kind of changes the complexion of Speed Weeks for a lot of these drivers in the Clash. And basically every driver that's getting track time on the super speedway because, you know, the Bush Clash historically serves as that first test for drivers is to shake the rust off, you know, kind of get all that out of the way and really test what your super speedway car is going to look like for the remainder of speed weeks and presumably the Daytona 500. So drivers were getting now a whole brand new track and they were losing time on the super speedways. We heard in many driver interviews about uh, the lack of time and how, you know, the Bush Clash was that advantage for many drivers to get that first sense of what the track is going to be like, kind of shake off the rust with the spotter, the crew chief, and all the communication there. 
That was now eliminated. So the duels was that first test for these drivers on the super speedway, but not to get ahead of ourselves too quickly. You know, everybody's talking about the finish of this Bush clash where we saw Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, two, two best friends get together, Kyle Bush ultimately taking the win. But I can't stop thinking about one thing and may, may, may have been overlooked for a lot of people, but I just can't get by it. And I'll go into this a little bit more, but we saw the one factor in this race as far as cautions were concerned, for the most part, drivers getting in the dirt on the backstretch chicane. We saw Martin Truex Jr. lose control, spin out from the lead because of the dirt. They had to throw the caution out, I think, to clean the track because of the dirt because drivers were getting squirrely and weren't able to get through there pretty cleanly. Now, maybe it's me just being closed-minded and maybe I'm just blowing this whole idea out of proportion, but I don't care. All I'm saying is March 28th, the Bristol Dirt Race. And I'll go into more about the Bristol Dirt Race as we get closer to that race. But that's all I'm saying. Now, I don't know, you know, the uh, logistics with the, with the Bristol Dirt Race and, and much of that. But throwing dirt on an entire track and these guys couldn't even get through the backstretch chicane uh, with a little dirt rubbing on the racetrack. That's all I'm saying. Again, could be blowing it out of proportion, could be not. But I definitely did not want to overlook that because I think that it will say a lot if this dirt race flops come March. But that's all I want to say about that, just to get it out of the way, because I've talked about it a lot, uh, not on this podcast, obviously, being the first episode, but in in passing with, with people about this Bristol dirt race. But we'll talk about that when we get to it. The duels were exciting. I will say that. The duels were exciting. Eric Almirola, Austin Dillon winning those respectively. Austin Dillon skirting by Bubba Wallace at the end there. can really wheel that car. And a lot of, a lot of fast cars in there. So... It was a great speed weeks building up to the Daytona 500 and this weekend. There was so much surrounding it. And I like the idea of having the traditional speed week now. We get racing every single week, whether it be the Bush Clash, the qualifying, and then the duels and the ensuing races from the Arca Menard Series to the Cup Series. It was really, really awesome getting racing every single day throughout this week. And now leading up to the 500, there was so much surrounding this, this race. And I want to start with the pre-race before we even got to the track. I want to talk about this E60 documentary that ESPN did in honor of Dale Earnhardt's 20th anniversary of his Daytona 500 fatal crash. Now, I'm 22 years old, right? So I was not around to see Dale Earnhardt or really know much about Dale Earnhardt because when he died, I was three years old. So I was a little premature to be understanding exactly what was going on there uh, and would have no recollection at all to begin with. So, you know, I had heard from my father, my father being a big Dale Earnhardt fan and a big three fan, my uncle as well. Uh, they would always talk about it and would always talk about Dale and obviously his name in the conversation as one of the greatest of all times and one of the most polarizing, if not the most polarizing personality to ever walk around the NASCAR garage. So I always knew about Dale, never really knew about his story and a lot that transpired because of it. And just to point out some of the uh, some of my big takeaways from that, first of all, the story involving Kyle Petty in that whole situation was extremely moving. Uh, I had no idea that Kyle Petty drove his late son Adam Petty's car in the 500 that year. And when Kyle was just talking about that whole experience and the conversations with Dale and those interactions when, when Adam Petty first died and how Earnhardt would 
avoid talking to Kyle Petty just because he couldn't put into word into words and you know show his remorse. It, I mean, it was truly, truly moving, and the whole the whole theme of this of this documentary and the whole vibe, I would say, I mean, it was, it was quite sobering watching the whole thing. And that was definitely one of the more moving parts of it. And just understanding the significance of Earnhardt's death at that time. I mean, it's just, it just, I just never really truly understood, or I guess even realized the significant impact and just how, how many people felt felt the pain of that void. I think I think they said they lost four drivers in the span of about a year in 2001 or 2000 and to think that we've gone 20 years without without a single death speaks wonders to the safety improvements that this sport has made in providing a safe environment for these drivers to compete at the highest level. But with that said, this I think this whole this all comes full circle with the Ryan Newman crash last year. And I gotta say, I the early big one that happened in this Daytona 500, I think is a clear representation of what one of the overarching themes of the documentary was. Young drivers that are in the Cup series, not even just in the Cup series, but racing in NASCAR. You know, many of them were not alive to experience the awful reality. And a lot of drivers, I don't think, realize the risk that they still take every single week when they get in these cars. doesn't matter how safe they get. doesn't matter how, how much technology is developed uh, to prevent injury and, above all else, you know, fatal crashes. doesn't matter how safe the sport gets. There's still that risk every single week when you get in the car. And because we have not had something like this in in the in the in the span of twenty years, you know, people and drivers, fans alike, they will forget this. And you know, we expect nowadays drivers to get out of their cars. I think a lot of drivers just expect them to get out of the cars. That's why they drive so aggressively, and especially on the super speedway races. I think once drivers get on the track, a lot of that just gets thrown out the window. But I want to look at this now from a different sports perspective. I want to bring the NFL in here because the NFL does sort of the same thing and has to deal with the same thing. You know, with the NFL, they can do only do so much to prevent head and neck injuries, but players will still take the field knowing that there is the risk that they could get seriously hurt. That's part of the mental contract that you sign with the sport, understanding that I'm going out there and despite all of the rules and regulations that have been put in place to prevent serious injury in the NFL, there's still that chance. It's not going to work every single every single week. There's still going to be that chance. The same applies to NASCAR, man. So the early big one dictated the entire race, I think, because of the quote-unquote invincibility that some of these young drivers drive with. Lap 14, you know, an aggressive push from Christopher Bell to Eric Almarola, caught him in the wrong side of the bumper, took out about a dozen cars. You don't get that aggressiveness, obviously, up until the final lap, and we did. We definitely got that at the at the at the end. I just want to touch on briefly this last lap crash because I know a lot of people have been talking about it. And listen, I know that I just gave a whole spiel on, you know, driving, always knowing that there's the risk that you're putting your life on the line. 
And that does remain true on every single lap, including the last one. However, what do you expect guys to do in these in the, in these positions? In the situation regarding this past Daytona 500, you know, Michael McDowell did give Brad Keselowski a huge shot on the backstretch. Keselowski had a huge run. Joey Logano had to block to stop his momentum. All hell broke loose because of that block. But whether you blame Logano for for blocking or McDowell giving Keselowski the, 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 the shot, it's racing. You're going to have large crashes. That's just part of it. You're going to have drivers that make split-second decisions. That's part of it as well, for better or worse. And at the end of the day, in this race specifically, it's the friggin' Daytona 500. It's the Super Bowl stock car racing. You know how friggin' difficult it is to let alone win a race in the Cup Series, but to win the Daytona 500? Kyle Busch hasn't won it in 16 years. Martin Truex Jr. is still looking for it. Brad Keselowski is still looking for it. Had a great opportunity. But unfortunately, was once again on the, I would say, losing end <laughs> of another driver's block. But it's difficult to determine. I personally don't know or don't know what constitutes itself as a bad block. You know, it's the final lap. It's the backstretch. What are you going to do? Just let him slide by? I don't care if he's your teammate or not. You have to make that move. Logano has to make that move. If he doesn't, then it's his race to lose. And he probably finishes outside the top 10 with all the forward momentum coming. So he has to make that move. It's unfortunate that we've got torn up cars, but Logano had to make that move. McDowell had to give Keselowski that opportunity. So uh, it's difficult to put to put fault on anybody in this instance. You know, I feel for I, I feel for Brad Keselowski who is always talking about talking about this, but I just don't I don't know, man, it's tough. It's tough in this in this regard, but you know, it's just part of racing. It's just part of that deal. But now I think it's time that we talk about our Daytona 500 champion, Mr. Michael McDowell. What a story. Winning his first race in 358 starts, the second most in series history by a driver before their first win since Michael Waltrip did it 20 years ago at the Daytona 500. Incredible story. And 20 years later, just ironic how how that all how that all turns out uh but michael mcdowell man what a story he's been a journeyman driver most of his career has had many opportunities with multiple race teams and has just been kind of bouncing around but has found a home at front road motorsports i think uh driving there for the past uh three or so years now i would say and michael mcdowell has always been a sneaky super speedway racer i feel like every time we talk about dark horses or guys you know that don't necessarily uh, perform best on other tracks, primarily because of the equipment that they're in. Michael McDowell is one of those drivers whose name is getting was getting mentioned. I feel like in every super speedway race, and Front Row Motorsports is a race team that has prioritized their super speedway program because of the opportunity that it presents for a team like them. You know, typically top 20, 25 uh, team on most weekends, but Front Row Motorsports. I think has developed into, I don't want to say a powerhouse super speedway team, but quite a well-rounded super speedway program that they have. And, you know, for, for this team, this has got to be so monumental. And I want to look at it 
uh, from this perspective. 2020, a season that was uh, dictated by COVID-19, I cannot begin to believe the substantial financial impact that this has, not only on Michael McDowell's career, but on Front Row Motorsports as a whole. We look at 2020 and the financial burden that COVID placed on the series and on race teams, much like Front Row Motorsports. We saw Levine Family Racing shut their doors. We saw Germain Racing shut their doors because of the financial burdens that they were feeling. Uh, Front Row Motorsports, for the most, for the, you know, Front Row Motorsports seems like an intact team, but I think there were a lot of questions heading into the future, unsure of what COVID was going to look like, especially in 2021, and obviously nobody knows what's going to happen. Um, I think there were a lot of questions for teams like Front Row Motorsports and their possible futures. And NASCAR is one sport where, you know, the money, the finances, the the winner's purses, you know, they, I feel like, are rarely discussed in mainstream, mainstream NASCAR news compared to other sports. You know, you look at the NFL and NBA, these guys are, these guys are, uh, they are absolutely, you know, praised for these uh, for their contracts. And it's all about the contracts. You know, it's all about the his- the, the, you know, the history and signing these record deals, right? It's not like that in NASCAR. You're never, you never hear that stuff. So I just can't begin to, to wonder how monumental this is for front row motorsports coming, coming out of the gates and driving one hell of a race. This wasn't just some fluke, by the way, he didn't steal it. He wheeled it. And Michael McDowell deserves this win 100%. Quite a popular win uh, amongst drivers as well. Let's pull up some tweets here. So much praise. Uh, Denny Hamlin was one of the first. Quote, tonight's win was no fluke. Wasn't an anyone can win type race. He's up front time and time again at these SS races. Well earned and well deserved. Congrats. Michael Waltrip told you love was back in the air at love's travel stop wins on Valentine's day, McDriver. And I love love congrats, buddy. And happy Valentine's day. Joey Logano had some words so close bummed. We didn't cross the finish line first tonight, but glad it was a Ford and victory lane. And I'm happy for Michael McDowell on his huge Daytona 500 victory. I mean, this was one of the more popular wins amongst the garage. I feel in quite a while. And we, are seeing many drivers in public uh, praise Michael McDowell and give him the credit that he truly deserves. Really, really awesome. And I'll tell you, you keep an eye on this 34 team. And I'd start with next week because we're heading to the Daytona road course. We're still unsure how NASCAR is going to uh, determine the qualifying orders. You know, we still have 28 one-day shows this year. Uh, Unsure of how NASCAR is going to uh, do their qualifying, if they're going to do a random sample, if they're going to introduce another performance-based model like they did last year. I'm not sure. But all I can tell you is, for the foreseeable future, Michael McDowell is in a good spot. We're heading to the Daytona road course, like I said. McDowell is a, I would call, stout road racer as well. He's a winner at uh, Road America in the, in the Xfinity Series a few years ago. Finished top 10 at the Daytona Road, of course, last year. So I think that there is nice opportunity for this 34 team heading into, heading into this upcoming weekend. And I wouldn't 
sleep on them. We expect this team will finish top 30 in points to ultimately make the playoffs. Um, so I hope this team shakes things up. I hope that we see some strategy. And I hope that we are able to see this team maybe put themselves in a position to capitalize on some top 10 runs, some top 15 runs. You know, we want to see Front Row Motorsports now be competitive. You know, we don't want to just look at them as some uh, team that's going to take a playoff spot away from another deserving driver. Michael McDowell deserved this win. This team deserved this win. They drove one hell of the race. They were up there for the most part all day. So it's really deserved. And I hope that this team is able to now go into this season with that mindset. Let's work on the car. Let's be strategic. Let's be out of the box and try and capitalize on as many points as we can to compete with some of these big boys possibly in the playoffs. It's a long shot, but I would keep your eye out on this 34 team and see how their season is now dictated with this win. But with that said, I also want to congratulate Clayton Hughes, former spotter of the 19 car and Martin Truex Jr. And this was really interesting. I did not I did not see this or uh, hear about this, but Martin Truex Jr. decided to part ways with Clayton Hughes this year because, quote, to try and be better on speedways. Wow. That didn't seem to work out for you too much, Truex, did you? But anyway, let's talk about the broadcast now because I'm back and forth on coverage this year of the Daytona 500. One of the biggest storylines, obviously, heading into this season was the Fox broadcast crew and the uh, addition of Clint Boyer. And I just want to say that the addition of Clint Boyer has elevated this broadcast team, specifically Jeff Gordon, in ways that was so needed. Because Jeff Gordon, I mean, I'm sorry, but he's just not a good announcer. Um, he makes too many mistakes. He's, I think he's a little awkward, trying to break out of his shell a little bit. And Boyer elevates Jeff Gordon to the next level. He gets him out of his shell. He keeps him involved in the broadcast. And it definitely creates a more fun, relaxed environment in that booth. It definitely doesn't seem, you know, as I want to say, stiff. Definitely more exciting. But my one thing about Clint Boyer, just don't force the funny, man. Boyer's a natural. And we're all expecting Clint Boyer to uh, introduce some Boyerisms. But just let them happen naturally. You know, we're all talking about what his catchphrase is going to be and all that. But don't force the trademark call. There's going to be one. There probably there will probably be multiple. But I, I don't want it to be forced. Clint Boyer is hilarious. And I just hope that it comes naturally for him. As far as coverage of the 500 itself, I thought it was subpar. I understand maximizing ratings by having a 3 p.m. start time. But at some point, when is NASCAR, when is Fox going to learn that we cannot run these Florida races in the late afternoon? This race probably could have been run without interruption if the green flag dropped at around 1.05 p.m. Eastern. And again, NASCAR Fox is trying to maximize their ratings, trying to get the California crew for prime time, 3 p.m., Daytona 500. But this is the second year in a row where a late start time where we had beautiful weather. I know it rained in the morning, but we had hours of, of, of daylight and sun. We didn't get through 20 laps for the second straight year before the rain halted on track action. Last year had to postpone the 500. 
this year somehow was able to get it in at night. But I find it hard to believe that Fox Sports, Fox will bring in more viewership from a race starting on prime time that is delayed by weather than running the full race just a few hours earlier. It I really find that hard to believe. I think Mother Nature is NASCAR TV ratings' worst nightmare because if you have a race... And we're not talking, we, you know, we're not talking we got through halfway. We're talking 20 laps, you know, that everybody already had a sour taste in their mouth because of the fir- because of the big one, you know. That was the last, that was the last on-track product we were able to see before this rain delay and had, again, had no business in happening. So I just don't get it. And it's the Daytona 500 for crying out loud, man. Thank God we didn't have to postpone it for the second, for the second year in a row. Uh, but I just don't get it. These Florida races, I look at next week, I look at the following week, 3 p.m. start times. Florida weather doesn't cooperate, (laughs) does not cooperate. So I just don't understand why we we can't learn from this. Uh, TV ratings haven't come out yet for the 500, but I doubt they're going to be anything stellar. Um, Because if you're a new fan and you're tuned in for the 500 and you're trying to wait around six and a half hours to see if this race is going to even get started... Uh, you're not going to watch. And quite frankly, fans very disappointed with the, with the, with the racing after, after the rain delay, you wait, you wait around all that long just to get the single file action. I mean, come on, got to start these races earlier. Have to, I guarantee you'll get more ratings when you run the full race than when you have a rain, than when you have the rain delay. Come on, got to learn, got to learn. Before we wrap up, just want to talk now about how I believe Michael McDowell's win changes the complexity of this season. Because as I said, other guys that might be at the playoff bubble at the end of the regular season, their season just got a whole lot tougher. This dumps an immense pressure on these drivers to deliver in the regular season now. Because now it's not about points. These guys, I feel like, have to win in order to make these playoffs now. Because we expect Michael McDowell to finish top 30 in points. Now these guys have to come out and they have to win races. You know, I look at Tyler Reddick. I look at Cole Custer. I look at Eric Jones, Ross Chastain, Bubba Wallace. All these guys that are probably going to be flirting with the playoff bubble come the end of the regular season. And then, you know, here's a spot where I think a lot of people were not expecting to be filled immediately. But that's the nature of this playoff system. That's the, you know, the beauty of super speedway races. Everybody having their their own shot to be able to come away with a win. So this adds an immense pressure to these drivers because now they're going to have to deliver during the regular season. And that begins this upcoming weekend. So the whole complexity of this season changes now. It'll be interesting to see how these teams and some of these drivers and their strategy heading into the remainder of 2021, how that changes and who will be on the playoff bubble come playoff time. But we have a full season of NASCAR before we get to that point. So looking ahead to next week, we remain in the state of Florida and go road course racing for the first time this year. Tune in to the O'Reilly Auto Parts 253 this Sunday. Coverage beginning at 1.30 p.m. Eastern on Fox. That's going to do it for me today. I want to thank you all so much for tuning into the debut episode. Let me know what your big takeaway is from Michael McDowell's victory at Daytona by connecting with me on Twitter. We're talking NASCAR on the daily over there. The link to that as well as the YouTube channel are in the description of this episode. Be sure to check out my playoff predictions if you have not already and stay tuned for more content uploaded 
on the YouTube channel throughout the week. Now to close the show every week, I want to close it with some motivation. While this is a NASCAR podcast, the hard charging brand is all about living your best life. And I think that it ties in perfectly with the underdog win this past weekend. Life ain't a smooth road. It wouldn't be fun if it was a smooth road. The obstacles that we are challenged with every day are blessings that help us become greater individuals. Use that as fuel to leave the competition in your tracks because your time will come, I'm telling you. And above all else, keep your foot to the floor. Leave all the BS out the door. Have a great rest of your week. I appreciate the support. And I'll talk to you next week. This is Mike Bachman signing off. Bye.